1: From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park, it's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland, on the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. This is a big episode. A lot has <laughs> happened since last week, uh, I at least on the Timbers side. That was um, only last
0: week? Yeah, oh, the
1: Thorns have had a little bit of a break, uh, so it's mostly been the Tournament of Nations and watching that. But on the Timbers side, um, a lot has happened since uh, Saturday's game, hasn't it, Richard?
0: It feels like weeks ago that so much has happened, but... Yeah, I guess for other people who maybe went to the game on Saturday and have gone on with their lives, it probably just feels like yesterday that Fernando Adi said goodbye to the club.
1: Yeah, um, that of course came out uh, right before the game. I was able to report that, uh, that it was going to be his last game. Uh, Mm. We later learned, uh, which we'll get into, that he's going to FC Cincinnati. But (laughs) for someone who's been here with the club for over four years, uh, very quick transition. I feel like we saw it coming, but... um, a big weekend in Timbers history. I I think it will be a memorable weekend. uh, So we can get into it. Um, I mean, obviously memorable, bittersweet, uh, different terms, but the game, of course, the Timbers beat Houston two to one. Uh, Fanendo Adi comes on in his last game, scores the game winning goal. I don't think either of us predicted that or really knew it was going to be <laughs> his last game when we when we Not when we week. recorded.
0: Not even I knew it was going to be his last game. Like You know, being here in the club, last Tuesday we're recording, I did not know this was coming. Now, later in the week, I did find out about it, but it didn't make Saturday's game any less surreal. It was so surreal to be there. I was down on the field as it happened. I was probably 40 yards from the play, and it was just one of the most incredible moments that I've ever experienced in sports because it was what you were thinking about the whole day from the moment you tweeted that out well what if this ends up being a cinderella night what if he gets to go to the ball and get the glass slipper too and in the 80th minute he got that glass slipper it's uh it's almost ridiculous still to say it out loud because it sounds like it was wwe contrived but that was (laughs) real or was it (laughs)
1: <laughs> or was it i think you know he comes on in the 80th minute here he comes on the 75th minute and the timbers army the, it's, the crowd gives him the standing ovation the timbers army is chanting his name that felt like just a, a great moment a good curtain call that, that i mean it felt like that was going to be it then that was going to be kind of his goodbye and, and so this was just for me this was unexpected i i sort of just expected yeah he'll come in and that's that um and then, of course, you know, he, he, he thanks the crowd by scoring the game winner.
0: But if you know Adi, and we all know Adi at this point, and maybe people that aren't around him every day don't go through these exercises in their head. But if you know Adi, this totally makes sense. In fact, Giovanni Savarisi before the game predicted that he was going to come in when it was 1-1 and score two goals. <laughs> so when that goal went in, one of the Timbers' staff came over to me and go said, essentially, we're halfway there. <laughs> like, this is the plan. And it's the plan because you know Adi was going to find a way to go out in a way where we would all remember him. And it feels right. Even though he's now going to another MLS team, which is going to be weird, even seeing him in that Cincinnati Blue yesterday when the pictures were being tweeted out by the club felt really weird and it really felt like did this had just happened like five days, six days and he's gone. Uh, and even talking to you now, and I'm looking outside the window here at Providence park and thinking about what life is like around this club right now, it's going to take some time to get used to somebody yeah. like that, not being here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to talk a lot about Audi <laughs> in, yes. the, in the coming minutes. This, this show is going to be, uh, filled with, with a lot of talk on this trade. And, uh, on Audie and his career with the Timbers. Before that, I do want to talk about our predictions just because I'm feeling really good about mine. (laughs) I can see
0: why you want to talk about the predictions. And, well, you should. I almost wish I was giving out the points this week because I would love to just be able to reward you for a dead dead bang-on prediction. Timbers 2, Houston 1. Obviously, that was the final score. I think the game played out like we probably would have imagined where the Timbers were the better team most of the time, but Houston is still a good team that could potentially get a result here and they didn't credit to the timbers for that but how many points are you going to give yourself <laughs> 702 703
1: no i'm not going to give myself that high Two one at home is it, you know it's not a crazy score line or anything like that it did hit it dead on but i'm going to give myself 20 points
0: congratulations I think you could have given yourself more, but I admire your restraint. Hopefully, you're not quite as restrained when evaluating my effort. I said the Timbers would have more than 58% possession. They looked like they were going to get close in the second half when they dominated the ball. Unfortunately, it was about a 50-50 split going into halftime. Houston actually had a little bit more possession through most of the first half. Portland ended up with 54.4% of the possession. Not really that close, but... I'm smiling at you. I think I think your possession was really good. Um, I thought I, it was really cool that Finado thanked you in his <laughs> closing remarks. I just think you're really good at your job.
1: I, I mean, you, you didn't get it, so I, I'm going to not give you very many. But it was close enough. I'll give you three points. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs>
0: and I do think you should have given yourself some more. But let's talk about the actual game. Uh, Houston... Comes in here the first time in competitive action that the Timbers have faced the Dynamo since being eliminated by them in last year's Western Conference semifinals. Uh, good goal to open it up by Sebastian Blanco. Great cross from Alvis Powell. He watched that like it was a drive. He, you know, the driving <laughs> range went right to Blanco's feet. Houston end up getting a goal to equalize. Most of the game plays out that way. Adi uh, comes on in the 75th, scores in the 80th. Timbers get a deserved 2-1 result. Or maybe I'm being presumptuous. Do you think it was a deserved 2-1 result?
1: I think it was probably deserved given the Timbers Probably deserved. <laughs> given how the Timbers played in the second half. But I, I am getting concerned. Um and I guess I'll talk a little bit about how the game played out before we get back to Audi. But I, I, I think it is a little concerning that we've seen sort of two weeks in a row the Timbers have scored and, and then pretty much within three, five minutes afterwards um, conceded another goal. I I mean, against Montreal. Oh, okay.
0: Um, I'm like shaking my head at you. It's like, they never had a lead against Montreal. Yeah, I know. I I see what you're talking about. The Mancuso goal coming. Yeah, obviously
1: it was different with Montreal because they were playing from behind, but in both cases, you know, they kind of get this big moment and and concede a poor goal. I I mean, I think both uh, you look at the goal they conceded against Montreal with Piatti's long cross. And then you look at the goal here. I I think both are avoidable. Um, I, I think, uh, Julio Cascante's been involved in a few of these moments as a well. Few of these moments. He's been involved in all the moments <laughs> yes. lately.
0: Uh, you know, when we're going into these podcasts, I'm always putting down notes. I put down the note here, how much should we worry about Julio Cascante? And then I pull back and I start thinking about it. and I'm like, you know, in the big course of the season, two or three errors isn't that big a deal. But we talk about these errors as they happen. and for Julio Cascante they're starting to pile up a yeah. little bit. he was part of although not exclusively responsible for both goals against Montreal, he was almost exclusively responsible for the goal against Houston. So how much should we be worrying about Julio Cascante particularly given Liam Ridgewell still on this roster
1: yeah i I think that I feel like and I was almost going to make this into a hot take, but I'll, I'll talk about it here. I I feel like Ritual needs another chance right now mm-hmm. because I think this is an g- opportunity. Julio is young; he's had a few rough games T- to give him a little bit of a break, switch things up, and you know he's going to get back in, but but not just keep you know riding him when he when he's making mistakes and, and it's costing the Timbers goals in, in moments. I I think he's still a young player. He's still this is still his first season with the Timbers. I think he's still a very important defender for them. But at the same time, yeah, it's been a little bit inconsistent recently. Um, and Ridgewell is on the bench. he's or hasn't been on the bench, but he's still here. He's still training. He's still a part of this team. If he's going to be a part of this team, which we expect through the end of the season, I think Sovereci should at some point use him, get him back in the lineup. And I would really like to see at this point, given Cascante's up and down performances in recent weeks, Ridgewell get another opportunity to come back in.
0: What do you got against Bill Tui-Loma, Jamie? (laughs) What's wrong with the French connection?
1: I just think getting... I mean, we know what Ridgewell can do. We saw what he can do earlier this season.
0: I'm playing. I mean, when Ridgewell came back into the team, I think that's the best the team has defended all year. He left the team because of an injury. Hasn't been able to get back in. I think it's just a question of whether he can be fully reintegrated again. I think yes. I don't know. I'm not Liam Ridgewell. I don't know what's in Liam Ridgewell's mind. I think... You know, He's selling his boat. I think that's in his mind. Uh, He apparently played golf recently, uh, if we judge by social media. But he is still here with the team. And I think that if not now, then when? Because it is a very high standard to expect somebody of Julio Cascante's experience level and age and unfamiliarity with this league to come in and have just a smooth sail through the year. So maybe he needs to take a step back. Maybe we need to see Liam Ridgewell back in there. Or maybe Giovanni Savarese talks to Cascante and realizes that he needs to play through it. At this time, though, I think there are legitimate questions to ask as to who should be the left center back next to Lares Mabiala.
1: Yeah, and I think your point of, if, if not now, when? I mean, is Ridgewell going to play a role on this team for the rest of the season? If I, he doesn't come back in now, then suddenly it is. You are wondering, has, has Savarese just completely given up on him? Because he's here, he's training, he's mm-hmm. with the team. He, he's clearly showing up to practice every day, even if maybe he's also selling his vote. But I, if he's here and with the team and a part of the group, unless Alvarez has just completely lost confidence in him and decide he's just not part of the team this season because he might not be part of the long-term solution, um, this is the perfect opportunity, I think, to give him another shot in the lineup.
0: Well, I think one thing we know from the questions that you have asked Gio throughout the year is if there is a problem between him and Liam Ridgewell, if there was a problem between him and Fernando Adi, he's not going to tell us about it. I see Gio talking to Liam all the time, two or three times a week on the side before practices. They're clearly trying to make sure that they're still on each other's same pages. It's not like Liam is being shunned. Beyond that, I can't really provide any information. So we'll just have to see how this plays out come this weekend against Philadelphia. Let's stick with the Houston game and talk about one other thing that I wanted to bring up. And it's this thing that we were harping on, we being me, uh, in the weeks before the Montreal game about the Timbers needing to play like favorites. They didn't really play like favorites when they went up a man at LAFC. They looked like a team that was okay with that draw. There were some extenuating circumstances there. But even in the games before that, they didn't look like a team that was comfortable playing on the front foot. I think against Montreal they showed that a little bit when they fell behind both times this is a team that's comfortable playing in control games and against Houston they had Houston pinned the whole second half I think that is a very encouraging development because that is the type of Timbers team we're going to have to see more as teams in the Western Conference teams throughout this league respect them more the Timbers are going to have to show they're capable of winning games without relying on counterattacks.
1: Yeah, I think we are seeing a little bit of a change in the Timbers and kind of how they've been able to play on the front foot in the last few games, but... I'm still concerned that I think part of that's come from them not giving complete 90-minute performances, that they've had these sort of mm. poor stretches and been able to sort of have to fight back from them. So I would like to see mm. this be more of a complete outing. You're from kind of a
0: 90-minutes stickler. <laughs> you had the same valid criticism about the Thorns earlier this year. It's like, show me 90 minutes, Mark Parsons. Show me 90 minutes. A couple of good games, oh, yeah? Well, show me 90 minutes, not just <laughs> the end result. Now the Timbers are here. You're like, hmm, 86 Got 86 this weekend. On the Goldberg scale, you're only at 86. A Goldberg 90 is what you want.
1: (laughs) But I've seen the Timbers do it this season. It's not been the the on-the-front-foot dominant performance, but it's been a complete performance going the game plan exactly how they wanted to do it they, they've they been able to do that and I think that's been one of the exciting things about this team is they've been able to go out there have the right mentality through 90 minutes they haven't had um, big letdowns the defense has been compact and organized throughout the 90 minutes and, and in the last two weeks there's been a little bit more of these letdowns uh, especially defensively that you just don't want to see
0: and it has been defensive lapses that we weren't used to seeing from the Timbers while they were building back up from that Red Bulls result. So obviously, this is the next challenge the team needs to face. I think for every game now, I'm going to ask you, what's the Goldberg <laughs> rating on this game? Is this a Goldberg ninety? Maybe some at some point they'll be like, this was a Goldberg ninety six, even into stoppage time. This team was amazing. And then sometimes like, yeah, that that game in New Jersey, pretty much a Goldberg zero. <laughs> So this is that's gonna be a new feature of the show. And if you want to sponsor it, let us know. Get in our DMs. We're happy to have that sponsorship. If you have if you have an album to promote or something like that, if you have a futsal team you need a couple of more female players for to even out the numbers, you can sponsor the Goldberg rating segment. It happens twice or three times a show. But let's get back to the main event regarding Houston before transitioning to talk about transfer news, to talk about Philadelphia. Let's talk about Fernando Adi. We talked a little bit about his performance. Let's talk about the Monday news. It was announced that Fernando Adi had been traded to MLS team-to-be. He's traded to USL. (laughs) He got traded to FC Cincinnati for $850,000 in allocation money upfront. $450,000 of that is the the shiny general allocation money that's more valuable. There are some incentives. There are some add-on fees at a potential sale that can escalate that number. But the key thing is that's future considerations since Cincinnati isn't even an MLS team yet, so that money isn't going to be in the Portland coffers until next year. In general, though, Jamie Goldberg, what's your Goldberg rating on the trade? (laughs)
1: Well, I, I think, I, I mean, the Timbers definitely get some flexibility out of this. So even though the, the allocation money is for 2019, they open up a designated player spot. They obviously, already, in terms of salary cap um, considerations, they get a lot more flexibility with the salary cap. So they're in a position now that if they want to make more moves in the transfer window, they can. And this is also going to certainly give them a lot more flexibility heading into the off season, both um, potentially with, with some open spots roster spots money um, but also obviously the allocation money coming in I think it's a good trade I think that we was reported that Fernando Adi wanted to be moved you don't want your designated player sitting on the bench for a long time that's not a good use uh, of the designated player spot um, and if they didn't see Audi coming back into the lineup and he wanted to be moved it made sense to try to move him at this point when they felt like they could still get good value from him I think by trading him to Cincinnati it's a good opportunity for the timbers they might not have had as many uh, as good of uh, potential trade partners within a current mls team just because a lot of teams have their designated player spots filled at this point um so cincinnati he becomes their first designated player well
0: there actually was a decent amount of interest from there was
1: and I'm, I'm not saying there wasn't but yeah. i'm saying i think they found the, probably what worked the best for them and what they were going to get the most out of.
0: Yeah, uh, no. I'm, I'm replaying what you actually said in my mind, <laughs> actually listening to your words, and I think you're right. The teams that didn't that had designated players, had established top player caps, had less incentive to give this much money yeah. to the Timbers for this. I want to try to listen to all of your <laughs> words and not just wait for the key ones I want to jump on. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, this is a very weird experience for me because this is the first time we've been through a big story like this since I got involved in the club. So it's interesting to talk to the people around here and see, you know, what information that I can get and what information that they look at me like you're not actually going to say this out loud. But I think you know the club wants to be very open or has been very open with me uh, about the fact that you know this was a situation with where Fernando had lost his job. Fernando Adi had lost his job. Designated player, we've talked about on this show, that it's okay to have a designated player on the bench, but it's not the most efficient use of that spot. And you're potentially going to see that asset depreciate. So the Timbers really need to jump on this opportunity. Uh, It's still just so weird when you see somebody who's been here for so long and is such an important player to to a lot of players in this club, just all of a sudden, he's not here anymore. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I I think that when you look at Audi's career here. I I mean, I I think there was some, you know, some up and down moments, but, but overall (laughs) you, you, you can't look at the history of the Timbers as an MLS team and and not include Fernando Audi in that. And that's going to be true for, for years and years and years to come. I, I mean, I, the Timbers, I don't think, would be as successful as they've been as an MLS team if Audi wasn't part of this this organization. He's the most successful forward they've had at the MLS level. He obviously leaves at this point um, with second most in career goals uh, for the Timbers all time. A huge part of the MLS Cup run. I mean, oh, absolutely. the Timbers don't gets the point they do um without Audis season i I mean if you look at maybe in the playoffs maybe they do just if the postseason but that entire season um the role he played 16 goals he scored two um in the postseason i think that goal in vancouver kind of just took the life out of the whitecaps um and, and was helped them obviously advance uh and he scores again at dallas so yeah it's it's hard to overstate how important audi has been for this team.
0: Yeah. During that run, I think there were probably four or five players that you can say, if this player was out, there is no way to replace him. Everybody on that team was report- important, but if they had lost a chara or Valeri, you're not replacing that guy. You're, title hopes are done. Same thing with Adi, same thing with Ridgewell that year, I would say those players um, and and probably Nat too. And probably not. And probably not. <laughs> um, yeah. When I kind of went through the list of players in my head, I'm like, I know I'm forgetting somebody, but anybody who watched that season knows how important Nat's acquisition was to solidify yeah. that defense. Uh, let's go to one of the questions here from Austin, who will emerge from the Jeremy Abobasi, Foster Langsdorf, Tomas Konechny race for first team minutes I don't have a good feel for this at all. I would say that Jeremy Obobese seems to be the favorite to actually emerge. And the fact that he looks so good last year makes the team more comfortable with sacrificing a little depth now to make this move.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we've seen a, him get in the 18 a few times this year when, when they've needed another forward in the 18. And we haven't obviously seen Langsdorf come in Um He has seen very, very few minutes this year, but I think he has one appearance, uh, limited minutes. Um, So he, of those players, has been the closest to on the edge. Now, Konechny is obviously a big signing for the timbers coming in now i don't know if number nine is really going to be his primary role it's been talked about sort of as a guy who can be versatile across the attack so we're gonna have to kind of see where soverece sees him most fitting in i think he will get minutes this season because the timbers brought him in um but i'm not convinced that necessarily he's going to be considered the backup striker or as opposed to somewhere else in the attack
0: i'm with you i mean everybody around this team keeps telling me that tomas can play up front tomas can play up front after a week watching him in practice, I'm like, I don't think he can play up front. And part of it is because he's like an inch and a half taller than Sebastian Blanco. But he looks like he's physically up for it. I wouldn't say that he's Foster Langsdorf built, but he looks like he's ready to play. And obviously, I've never seen him play a live game before, so I can't say for sure that these people who have flown down to South America and actually seen him (laughs) in real action uh, are wrong. That seems kind of dumb for me to say that, but I'm not really seeing him as a forward right now. I'm seeing him as a right as a outside to in right wing that's what i'm seeing him as right now so i think Jabo's is going to have his chance obviously every day he and foster have their chance to get into the 18 and i think nobody around here is going to be either disappointed or surprised if jeremy abobasi emerges as the the real option here uh let's talk a little bit more about this designated player spot that's opened up the, who are we talking about here? Neymar? Uh, <laughs> the, you know they, We're talking about left, uh, left center back next to Mabiala, somebody like a Vincent company or something like that. <laughs> who, who are the Timbers going to go out and get with that spot?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure if the Timbers are going to fill at this uh, transfer window or not. I, what? I think that's, that's one of the big questions, is whether they're going to fill it right now. I mean, and if they are, it means that they have someone lined up. To, to fill it's not that yeah, aggregate trade, that
0: Stumptown footy. Goldberg <laughs> colon, Timbers will not fill DP spot
1: well I I didn't say <laughs> I didn't say for sure no. but I don't think if Hold if on the, if, I'm
0: going to tweet that really quick
1: I <laughs> If the Timbers had some, uh, have been working on it for a while and had a, someone lined up, then yes, maybe. But if, if this Audi thing sort of came about and they weren't sure if it's going to happen, and they, they're they not going to be suddenly looking for a designated player right now in this short amount of time because that's a, clearly someone you want to be pretty sure on, you want to be willing to fill if they're going to suddenly invest money in a new player mm-hmm. um, coming back uh, or coming in. So we'll see if they fill it now or if they wait um, to the offseason and really kind of look at at the end of the year what are the issues they most need to address and where were they lacking and what is going to be the best use of this uh, designated player spot with maybe a little bit more time to, to focus in on that as opposed to right now in the transfer window? Um, I think we've talked about it a little bit um, and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later as well, but to just throw it out there, if they potentially do fill the designated player spot, I I think there is at least a possibility that that could be just Milano coming back in. Because his... Yeah, Lucas Milano. I've only been with the club for six months. Who is is this?
0: Are you pronouncing that correctly? Are we sure it's not Melano?
1: (laughs) Their former $5 million acquisition. Yes, uh, Lucas
0: Milano. No, Lucas Milano, who has been playing very well, particularly this last year that he was out on loan at Estudiantes, really made an impact in Copa Libertadores that loan deal is up so he's kind of in this limbo space right now and in, until that limbo is resolved he's under contract to the Timbers
1: yeah so I think and I, I don't want to get too much into it because I want to get into this actually a little bit more later but um, I I do like think that during the that Thorns that's... segment is that what you're talking about <laughs> yeah in case he wants to play for the Thorns just
0: good luck beating out Toman Heath jeez I,
1: I do think that that might be uh, if they fill it it might be more of a short term thing with bringing him back in and, and seeing how that goes but we'll see i I mean i don't necessarily think the timbers are done making moves i I think if they have good options are going to continue they now have the flexibility with the dp spot and and they also might want to add more you know experience depth at the forward position at this point since um abobasi uh, is still young and has doesn't have a ton of experience playing in mls um and, and langsdorf obviously hasn't uh, played at that level yet yeah, they, they might want to add another attacker um, in this window they might want to look to address outside back a little bit we've talked about that um, obviously Vitas and, and we've talked about Guzman being potential players that the Timbers could look to move if they do try to bring uh, someone else in so I, I think the next week could be interesting um, if the Timbers find the right moves there's certainly other moves that they could look to make mm.
0: Moving forward to the Philadelphia game, uh, hopefully we answered a lot of questions. We really thank you for sending them in. Uh, We kind of had a couple of questions written down here that we were going to explicitly answer, but uh, we've kind of covered those a little bit. And, of course, we're going long on timbers, so we're going to move forward to this Saturday's game, another 8 o'clock kickoff, Philadelphia Union coming into town. Philadelphia had actually beaten Houston 3-1 to in Houston last Wednesday. I don't know if we can infer from that that Philadelphia is a better team than the Dynamo, but they certainly are a capable team coming in here. And if the Timbers are going to run their unbeaten run to 15 in MLS, uh, they're going to have to take this one seriously.
1: Yeah, I think Philadelphia has been better this year than may maybe expected. Um, they're obviously a team that's struggled a lot in recent years. But, but they're in seventh place in the Eastern Conference. Um, they've had some good results. I think they've won the last... Three of four games overall. If you count U.S. Open Cup, they're, they're still in that.
0: We don't count U.S. Open Cup <laughs> as of Tuesday, two Wednesdays ago.
1: Doesn't exist. It's dead like to it's, us. Like it never happened. But U.S. Hey,
0: Open Cup dead.
1: It, yeah, you're right. It's not going to be an easy game. That said, um, the Timbers are at home. Uh, this is part of their stretch of four home games in a row. Um, and I, I think um, at least the last week and this game and the, in the game against Vancouver next week, they're all beyond full rest. It's a big opportunity for the Timbers to take nine points out of the stretch and they're, they're capable of it. They've shown they can compete against any team in the league. So if they play their best soccer at home um, and make the most use of the full rest, they have to prepare for the games. This is a game you want to see them win.
0: It's just like the last two decent team, team you should be beating at home if you're fashioning yourself an MLS Cup contender for me Philadelphia is kind of like two teams uh, at the beginning of the year when I was watching their games I'm like they don't look any good <laughs> even like they're not assimilating David Akam I thought Akam was going to be a big addition here and then once they fully put Borg Docal in the middle of their formation had him be the creative presence they've looked a lot better I actually looked this up so I don't get another statistic wrong on the show. He has nine assists in 19 games this year, has been a great addition to their team, and gives them an element of creativity that I don't think they've ever had. Or creativity almost seems the wrong word, just efficient, efficient chance creation. So this is a serious team. Serious team with flaws, serious team with capabilities. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't really find anything romantic about them to talk about. I could probably talk to you for 30 minutes about Elbeth Elise and... Rommel Kyoto and what we saw them do to our back line we what, what, what we all saw them do to Portland's back line um, but Philadelphia I just don't feel like they have that level of threat that level of yeah. athleticism so this is definitely a game that if I were to make predictions which I don't do I would say that Portland would win this
1: one yeah and the Timbers um just to throw it out there, our, our writing, still a 14-game unbeaten streak. Obviously, that was not the big story coming out of last game, but they did extend their unbeaten streak. Their record for an MLS unbeaten streak is 15. So Ooh. we'll see. We'll see how this game goes this weekend.
0: And that record was set in the first year of Caleb Porter. It was. And this is the first year of Giovanni yes. Savarese. I wonder where, how the dates line up on those. Like, what date did Caleb have his 15th I think ambiente? it was
1: a little earlier. I Ethan. think he they got on the fifteenth roll pretty quickly. Um, I think before five games. So yeah, I have, I no have to idea. look back, but I, I think it was a little bit earlier.
0: Yeah, I've only been at this club for six months, so I don't know. <laughs> well, everybody um, got kind of a treat for you here. Uh, we do have athlete guests every once in a while. We've made it a practice of leveraging my place at this club to guilt people into coming onto the <laughs> show. But we actually had one person that we didn't have to guilt at all to coming onto the yeah. show. In fact. It was offered to us as an idea, and we, of course, jumped on getting Mark Parsons on the show.
1: Yeah, Thorns coach Mark Parsons, and uh, as we will ask him about, but Thorns coach Mark Parsons and finalist for best FIFA coach uh, from last year. Ooh,
0: I wonder what that means. Let's listen and find out. <laughs>
1: Um, So, Mark, it's really great to have you back on the show. I'm trying to remember the last time you were on, probably in in preseason. Was was that maybe the last time you were on the show with us, me and Chris? last time we won
2: a few games in a row, so that's that's why it's been a while. Uh, It's great to be back on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, It's the only reason we invited you back. Got to three in a row. Let's get Coach back on the show.
1: I actually wanted to start with something a little bit away from the Thorns. I mean, a little bit more personally about you. You obviously were named uh, finalist for the best uh, FIFA coach I mean what does that mean for you
2: it means that I've uh I work with amazing staff and and a roster of of great players and great people uh to be even in that conversation you've you've obviously got to be working alongside with um amazing people great people and I'm fortunate here I, I think I've I've been in a place for the last two and a half or over two and a half years where uh, a staff that is so well balanced with such different perspectives and different qualities but the collab collaboration between us all uh is unique in in the way that we always want to push each other find ways that this this team this player that player can improve by a percent or five percent and and then this group of players like th- this year we've had a lot of challenges but this group of players the way that they've they keep continuing to grow together and they continue to to ask more about themselves and uh, and improve each other it's the closest group for sure since being in Portland and and I hope now that we've almost got everyone back that we get to reap the rewards of having such a a talented group and together and close group of course we've always been close 16 17 groups were close as well um, specifically last year Uh, but it's it's unique that that we had some new turnover and new players come in and, and the group's already um, pulled together, but it's the third year, you know, we've been building it. it oh, I, I said, when I came in, I felt like um, the th- year three would be our, our, our leap towards having the the culture and the, and the group really solid to, to where we'd like. And it's panning out that way. Unfortunately, I haven't had as, everyone as much as we'd like throughout with the challenges. So it's uh it's cool for that, to be up there for the award and, and just showcase to everyone the, the great environment I'm in, an amazing club, what, what Gavin and what merit um, provide for, for us as staff and players to, to go out and perform the way that we do is, you know, we're in a fortunate place and it's a privilege to be here.
0: So a lot of fans in the NWSL have come along during the last five years. Uh, it's been almost exactly five years since you were named head coach in Washington. I think it was, I just looked it up here, it was July 1st of 2013 you officially got your first head coaching job here in the states take us back to those moments when you were first told by the spirit that you were going to be promoted to the big job uh, they were obviously going through a tumultuous time at that point had let Mike Jordan go and you got the call to step in and right the ship
2: what was that like you're getting goosebumps when you just talking about me processing the um those f- crazy first few hours goosebumps in the mayhem and and trying to find a way to help the club and the team and those players at the time, any way we could. I was the reserve coach. We're playing up in New Jersey, maybe uh, near the beach somewhere. Uh, reserve game. We we I got a message just before the game kicked off saying, "Mark, give me a call from the general manager, uh, Chris Hummer at the time. Give me a call as soon as you're free." I said, "Just about. To, we're just about to kick off. And we have got a freaking we got a big game for us. We we got to win this game." And uh, he said, no problem, just call me as soon as you finish. I uh, obviously had no idea. I, I was anticipating that some reserves would need to go up and play with the first team. Finished the game, got on the phone and yeah, everything obviously changed in a split second and I could never have predicted it's it's continued to where it is today. But um, I'm very sad and unfortunate here that the staff... Mike Jordan and, and other people had moved on because they were fantastic to work with. And while I was, my commitment only allowed me to be a couple of days a week training, the reserve team fitted me perfectly. I had a, I was director of a youth club at the time and, and commitments there. Um, and the question was, hey, can you take over immediately? Mike and the staff have gone, and we need someone to be able to help the team tomorrow. Um, we're training two days before playing Kansas. And, and as reserve coach, of course, I, uh, I kind of understood our players. And our team to a certain point, but I like I do or anything, my energy was on the reserve team. I wanted to help those players develop. I wanted that team to be successful. So my knowledge of our our team was okay. I had no idea who Kansas were or who Vlacco was at the time. So that was Sunday night. I got home and, and literally was was scouting our team, Washington Spirit, and finding out what they'd looked like for the last two or three weeks and scouting Kansas. I went to bed at 4 45 a.m. after getting back at 11 from, from New Jersey got up at 5.15 had half an hour 45 minutes to drive two hours up to the soccerplex I was I, mean, I was. I, we lived in Culpeper Virginia so it's a long long drive and then meeting the team saying that I was taking over as the head coach and um, uh, I should remember two, two, uh, two big players arrived late to that very first meeting and, and they both came over groveling really apologetic that they had missed and they had no idea what was going on and and two that I kind of already built a semi relationship with, uh, uh, so yeah. And then we trained twice, and we we played on. I think it was the Wednesday night. It might, I might be wrong, but it was definitely two training days and a game against Kansas. Funny thing about about scouting, scouting Kansas, like I, as I'm scouting us and scouting them, I'm like, who? I can't believe this team. This is one of the best passing teams I've seen. <laughs> um, and we got to play them in two days. I mean, trained with the team. And as I'm continuing my scouting and I watched, I think I ended up watching three games before we ended up playing them on the Wednesday, I carried on, I did one full game in that, in the middle of the night, that Sunday night. Uh, and we, yeah, we managed to get a draw on that first, that first game. Players celebrate like we'd won the World Cup because it was rough. It was been a rough year, and the fact that Kansas was probably the best football team at that point, point yeah. you know, and they slipped up in the in the playoffs. Spent
0: four or five months in first place that year, though.
2: Yeah, so to uh, to get a point off them was big. Um, that was a wild, uh, wild two or three days, and um, you know my focus at that point was, and I was obviously direct full time director of a club, so it was it was a club in need and players in need, and never did I think that um it would it would continue to spend multiple years there at the at the time it was a full focus on how can i help in any way um this this uh, period for the club um yeah and it was it was a you know we went after that tie we went and we continued the form that had currently been in which was i think we lost 7 and the angle that i took was uh at that point the style that we were going to play the character we were going to play with um if we, if we continue to give everything we've got, it will pay off and we will finish winning this season out. And, it, and we almost did. We, we won, beat Chicago, we beat Seattle, and then we were a few minutes away from beating Sky Blue. I think we ended up drawing Sky Blue. So we almost finished with three wins in a row. And that was a team that couldn't buy a win for the whole year, almost. So it, um, yeah, it, was, it was a very, very tough period. Um, but through that challenge learned a lot about players and how mentally tough they are and also me first time I've ever lost so many games or being in a place where no matter what you do you still have a result go against you um, and, but the, the focus was on finishing the season strong Make sure those players wanted to be at the Washington spirit whether I was going to be in charge or not Make sure they wanted to be a part of this club because I believed in in what was going on and how it was going moving forward so it's, uh, yeah, thanks for taking me back there that was an interesting <laughs> time
1: speaking of just kind of your coaching career a little bit more uh you when we've talked in the past you said that you know from the time you were in england all you wanted to do was work with top level players um and get to a point where you could be consistently every day working with the the best athletes um and obviously you're here you've reached this point how often do you get to reflect on on kind of how far you've come and within all this are, are there big lessons you feel like big big moments that have helped you grow as a coach
2: yeah yeah uh I think that there's certain certain periods or experiences that take you back, and I absolutely, strangely, I absolutely love, and I have some throughout the twelve-month period. Every year, I kind of have some things that take me back to places that I've been. Play Washington Spirit away at least once a year. This year, when we went there before the game was, the game was a good one. We won, so it's not it's not necessarily because we won, but before then, it was the most. Enjoyable time I've had back in DC. Obviously, I'd been there for, for a couple of years. It was stressful going back. It, I'll be honest; it was really stressful going back because there was players. I wouldn't be in Portland if it wasn't for what those players did in Washington and people that gave me an opportunity and the fans and the community. As a lot, I was very involved in the academy, and I knew you know I knew over two or three hundred kids across the community across Maryland, Virginia, um, and DC. So it was, it was always emotional. And then got, I, I get to. Get to go back to england for a week or two every year and i'll pop into chelsea and see colleagues and and friends old old friends old colleagues um so throughout my year i kind of have these little moments where i can sit there and go wow you know this is I used to spend a lot of time doing this and being in this place and it's helped me get here my, my journey has been pretty um pretty different to most i mean i it, it I probably shouldn't be where I am. I, will, I was uh, in the sense of, it's been a very fast path, been a very fast um, uh, fast steps to, to working with elite players, not only elite players, but uh, the best women's clubs, the best women's club in the world uh, with some of the very best players in the world. Uh, I I was a community coach and coaching camps and, and working with um, all sorts of community coaching and outreach coaching for multiple years at Chelsea Football Club. I was always involved with the younger boys' academy, under eights, under nines, but the girls' side was where I had, I had strong passion, but also had the opportunity to work with under sixteens, and see more senior, more senior, um, and, and elite players. But most of my hours, you know, I was working on community coaching eight hours a day, and then got to spend two hours in the evening coaching elite players. My goal was always to uh, to work with elite players every minute of the day every every hour of the day and um when decided to come to decided to come to america um directing a youth club which was completely different experience necessarily elite players but i was an incredibly enjoyable years in Culpepper with Culpepper soccer association um, working with players of all abilities and and using my experience from community coaching and keeping them engaged and making sure that they, we foster their love of the game and and, uh, coming to America and, and it's very different and the challenges are different and some of the positives are different as well. Um, and to be honest, it was after six to eight months, I just got the, the, I got um, the, the buzz from working with elite players. It was too strong. Like I needed to get back and work with elite players. I loved my job and I wanted to continue doing that. And I started, started working with some DC United Academy boys, private training and and then fortunate that I got a call to help DC United Women U20s, and that DC United U20 two-month gig, which was just to feed my my urge to work with elite players for a few months, um, that that snowballed into the Spirit Reserves, into Spirit First Team. Yeah, so it's a bit of it's a unique path. I I, um, uh, I obviously didn't play professionally; played in the fourth tier, which is semi-professional. And even on the coaching side was more on the community side rather than the academy or professional. And, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of said it a few times uh, when the spirit got stuck in that problem they were in and they let some staff go, was I the most talented person they could talk to or local talented person? No, I don't think I was. And I, I hoped that I was the one who was going to work the hardest and care the most. That's my belief anyway. And, um, because I'd shown that in some of the other jobs since I've been working with them, um, but because I cared and worked, now I've been able to have this experience, Managed to work with players. Every day I learn from players and learn with the staff, and hopefully by now I, I'm, I'm at least okay at the job. And um, But it started with want, wanting to work hard and care a lot about what I do, and, and that's helped build this future and this opportunity I've now got in an amazing club like the Thorns.
0: So, philosophically, when you talk to most coaches, they've latched on to one or two key people who inspired them either tactically or in terms of their belief as to how soccer is supposed to be played and to kind of build on that so who are your foundational motivations as to people who have inspired you as to how they want to teach the game or how they see the game and also how have you moved on from that how have you
2: assimilated that into how you coach and also made that style your own yeah i'm, I'm all over the place uh, if i go back to the two people that probably the biggest influence when i was in england uh Keith Harms is a guy that worked in the Chelsea Centre of Excellence that if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't... You know, It would have taken me another 20, 30 years to get to where I've got to or, or I would have just spent so many more years trying to find someone like Keith. And now he's a great friend, great. he's been a great mentor, but he was patient enough to put up with my fifty thousand questions and and he was knowledge incredibly knowledgeable passionate and smart about and he wasn't someone that had such a strict philosophy this is how it must be done which was in england when i when i've you know going back now only going back eight nine years when i left england but those those eight nine years i was coaching there it was uh, there was so many positives and 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 loved loved so many things but it's it's rare to find someone who's open and also looked outside of England. Uh, what Keith did for me was was patient enough to put up with me and, and shared so much and gave me experience working and making mistakes, but pushing me and supporting me through those mistakes. So, Keith Harms, and then second person, didn't have as much, no you know, nowhere near as much contact, but another Chelsea on the Boys' Side Academy coach called Michael Bill, who now is Ray, uh, Stephen Gerrard's assistant at Rangers. He's been to Sao Paulo, he was at Liverpool. Um, uh, he's someone that when i got to when i watched him coach with young players of 9 10 11 12 year old boys he he had no rules in what he was willing to do and how he educates players there was he just he was very in, innovative in uh, no boundaries uh and you have to do it this way or that way which at the time in england you know you warm up you do technical you do this exercise everything was very structured and rigid and um he was the he was really one of the first ones that um also gave me time from the boys side uh, where Keith gave me time on the girl side that helped me i think i've been a very always a curious mind always wanting to grow always wanting to improve uh, and those two fortunate to have those two people in the same club where I was working they're probably the only two that really for different reasons could have helped me the way they did um, and i'm fortunate so I, yeah zoom forward back to I think where you were guiding me on specific philosophy Uh, yeah I think multiple multiple influences Um, when I was at Chelsea the first period that Mourinho came in the period where he knew what attacking soccer looked like (laughs) he's changed a little bit since but he he changed Mm -hmm. he changed everyone you hear John Terry talk about Mourinho now he still talks to him like this, God that came and invented a new game in in, in uh, that time. Mm-hmm. You know, now England, the the, the coaches that the, the, that that's coaching the Premier League, it's just spoiled for unbelievable talent. Klopp, Guardiola, Pochettino, Conte obviously just left. Sarri's just come in. Uh, Emery's just come in. Um, it's like a fantasy league for elite it, managers. It, it, that, it's that a- yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So just just more more recently, um, I've been driving the team nuts for a couple years. Um, the three coaches that I've been watching and and studying the most for personal reason for personal reasons and professional to still uh, Pochettino at Tottenham painful for me to say it <laughs> Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim mm. and Sarri who was at Napoli mm. and the fact that Sarri's now come to Chelsea's
0: mm-hmm.
2: team are going to get it even worse but we were watching Napoli uh, Sarri clips and methods two years ago and. And uh, the Lindsay, I remember Lindsay hammering me for it. Oh, the freaking hell, are we watching Napoli for who? At Napoli. <laughs> and I always said, Lindsay, you wait. No one knows who this guy is, but they will soon. Uh, but Pochettino, Nagelsmann, and Sarri. I even did a, a case, a bit of a case study in the last off season on creating chances. Zoomed into those three plus Man City's Guardiola. Uh, Guardiola's Man City. Uh, um, yeah, for 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 those three in particular, they're very different, um, and they. While they have a similar philosophy in wanting control and dominance, they have very different methods in what control and dominance means. Uh, and and also I've respected and, and, and started to enjoy a lot more of Klopp uh, at yeah. Liverpool this year. Uh, and just because it relates, the, the the way his his teams have all you worked know, in the last two three, Dortmund years, that Dortmund, yeah. Dortmund Bayern Munich Champions League that was three, four, five years ago, mm-hmm. one of the fastest and most entertaining games of football I've, I've ever seen. But it relates to the NWSL. The NWSL is high energy. Um, every team's capable of pressing, and most teams all press us and make life difficult for us. Uh, and I, 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 think for us, what we found the last two and a half years, you have to, yeah, you need to be good at pressing. You need to be able to work hard off the ball to succeed in this league. And and Klopp's probably one of those one of those teams that have that at the forefront um, uh, in philosophy. Of course, they're great on the ball, but but pressing and counter pressing comes first.
1: Mm-hmm. In terms of talking a little bit about this season, um, obviously you guys are on the three-game winning streak now. Uh, it's very tight in the playoff race, but obviously there's been a lot of challenges throughout the year. Are, are there n- new challenges you feel like you've faced as a coach for the first time this year or different lessons um, that, you've had to, that you've had this season?
2: Yeah, and maybe because you, you made me go back there, uh, I I've thought of this comparison in 13 with Washington the first two or three games you know we were we were training hard we tied and we, we, when we lost the seven straight the first two or three I was trying to establish some connection with the, the team understanding of how we're going to play um, what I sold them on was we we're going to play the best soccer in the league and and of, with the roster we had it was going to be a challenge it, it's, you know we're playing against Kansas and, and other teams that had incredible talent all over the place and and the roster were there was um, was young and with a couple of senior players. Game four, five, six, seven, in that streak, it felt like, and I remember Chicago away uh, game was the the pinnacle of it. We did almost everything right, but then something one thing would go wrong and we'd lose the game. But so much of the process and the performance was good, and that's the cruel cool thing about sport. But this team of players that were working so hard in the week we were away at Chicago, we dominated, we had chances, uh, and this was a hard place to play, and uh, I think it was, and, and then, um, uh, I can't remember the player, they had one chance, and it was an own goal from us, and you can't blame this, the player, but it, re, this year's felt a little bit like that, especially at the beginning, the Seattle home game, the Orlando home game, um, some other games where the performance, so it's not so the first time, but the the, the new experience at this club was that, some of the performances were really really strong but you know and you normally make five ten errors twelve errors a game whatever we were making one or two the problem with these errors they were big errors and we were being punished uh, and we'd lost the game and it, it was a new picture for us and me as a coach that how many times you walk back in a change room and say one two three four five six seven eight nine these things were excellent these are better than last year. This is better than last year when we had everyone healthy and everyone playing, and you know uh, we were getting results, but we weren't playing so well at periods last year. This is better football on the with the ball, and without the ball. But we lost. How many times do you walk in a change room and say to a team you did really, really well, and and they're sitting there going, yeah, but um, we need to win and we need points. So it it felt like the first time. I've, I now I remember the feeling. We, we you know Washington we went through it as well. Um, the the thing that we did have here that we had to fix fast and we tried to we tried to not zoom in on it too much and, and make it a focus and overthink was the errors we had some big individual errors there's one of the statistics I told the team after eight games was we've had five key errors leading to goals and in the last two years we had a total of two over two years so 20 plus 20 you know 44 games two key errors led to goals in eight games five this, this was we have to stop overlooking this now, and I have to put my hands up first. And um, yeah, we zoomed in. We zoomed in really big, not just to key errors that led to the goals, the five, but other key errors that had led to big opportunities. And we made a commitment then and there that this starts. This starts in training, and we're gonna. We are gonna overthink it, and we're gonna squeeze this out of our performances. These errors, which I think we did, we achieved, and and, and things move forward fast. Uh, yeah. So I, dealing with playing well and losing. And then dealing with the amount of change. I don't know if I've ever dealt with this much change. Um, Talked about it the last, the last three or four weeks since we've had some consistency. Every year in Portland, we've been missing talent. Every team, when they've got all their, their best talent available, they're going to be a better team. We've we've had well, uh, Olympics, we had the Euros, we've had periods with the first four games this year, we're missing eight players. We've had periods with where we've missed top talent. But we haven't had a period where the players change week in, week out, and... Unfortunately, how much impact training and video and learning from games can have on a group when they're constantly changing their backline, constantly changing the midfield and front line. So that was a new challenge. And what positive came out of it was, you know, when we lost, we lost Kling before a game, we lost Tobin before a game, we've lost Mengus before a game, whether it's the night before, or the day of, or in the warm up, we hadn't dealt with that before. Um, Mal Weber was an amazing example of it uh, She came on and started that game When Menges didn't play I think it was Sky Blue When Menges had a problem just before Sky Blue I might be wrong And Mal Weber was fantastic that night On the right wing She, didn't, she had no idea she was going to start But the tactics that we were trying to apply She, she um, did it all She was focused during the week That message now is stuck with us I've repeated it so many times Someone who isn't expecting to play in a semi-final or in a final or be in a place to win or stop the, the the winning goal, they it could be it could be number eight, number nine, number twelve. It could be number nineteen, or number twenty-three on the roster. That experience showed us that we've all got to be ready. You know, we've got Ty, um, Tyler came on in uh, I think it was against Utah and first touch scores a goal. She she had been unfortunately missing out on minutes minutes with the competition. She was ready. She grabbed the opportunity. Elizabeth Ball had to come on at halftime away at Sky Blue she was ready and took the opportunity uh, so it's um, yeah it's it, I, I, this season has brought new challenge of performing well and not getting results I, I prefer that we played crap and, and didn't get the result uh, makes more sense um, but sp- sport isn't like that and then also just dealing with change and restarting organisation of, of a backline every single week because we're missing someone or we we do a whole week of training and then we lose them the night or day day of the game
0: Coach, um, we don't want to keep you for too much longer because you do have other things to do all day besides talk to us. But I wanted to take a broader view of the progression that you've had over the three years you've been here. The first year, you kind of had to break down the group and build them back up because of the disappointment of the year before and just a new coach coming in. You're able to build on that in year two, had great success. And then this year, it really feels like the culture of the group is really strong. You've alluded to that in multiple press conferences about how this is the best group that you feel like you've ever had. So where do you go forward next year into the future? How do you build upon the three years that you've put into this job and keep the club moving to higher levels in
2: the subsequent seasons? Well, there'll be a few different hurdles next year with a World Cup year, and there's got to have there got to be some specific strategy to deal with that. Um, away from that, uh, I, I made a comment in pre-season to the staff that year three of of us. You know, we have a vision of what the culture of this team and I haven't come in or our staff hasn't come in and said this is what the Portland Thorn should look like, this is wrapped around what, what the owner and what the general manager and what these fans and, and the staff and it, people that associate with this club being a being a hard working team first giving, supporting um, group of people players and staff that go out every game day and, and fight and work and give everything to help each other, now, this is this is what you know i've fallen in love with this community and the city and it's it's a very giving giving place and you know it, it we've wrapped our culture around that and um it suits my my philosophy and my passion how i choose to wrap a, what to wrap a culture around it. it's just i think this is why this is a great fit Um uh, when, when I, from the first chat i had with with gavin and Merritt about coming here um at the beginning of pre-season sorry beginning of pre-season i made the the comment to the staff that this is year three where we're taking small steps one step at a time in improving the culture and improving standards and behavior and expectations and uh year three was it time to take a massive stride because because we've had three years of you know the the before the 16 recruiting before 17 recruiting before 18 that's our third year of of bringing in people of specific profile on the field and off the field profile uh, and and that's starting to add up. You know, this is this is uh, every player here now that's been brought in has um, has had to meet the off the field demands as well. Being at this club, and being in this in this locker room, how do, where do we go from here? Well, we've got a load of eighteen, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four year olds that are new, and they all hardly any of them have been available for period, large periods of this year. So number one is these young players that have been learning and understanding who we've been trying to guide on what a thorn's mentality is and what a, what a winning attitude and a, a winning mindset and, and also a, a giving supporting together mindset looks like in a team environment we've got a lot of young players this year that have been trying to understand and learn that um, I was talking to you earlier about this Richard but like Celeste who's done well this year she's been here for since, since beginning of 16 she's gone through the ups and downs she's developed this mentality of what it's like to play for the portland thorns when rasso came back four or five games ago it was so important to have a player like rasso back but having her mentality she won an nwsl championship last year she was a big impact player for this club last year she's gone through hell in this league and she's gone through ups and downs while she's been at this club and she's someone that has had to nurture her develop her talent had to work hard and dedicate hours and hours of video and um she has a mentality that this club is all about and always giving your best and always giving your all um so i from this point we got a we, we've made a big stride this year my comment in pre-season was make a big stride in year in year 3 we start to really cement, and and I won't have, the staff probably won't have to have a major input in year four. By year five, these players will be able. There'll be players in this change room that, if someone someone isn't doing what they need to be doing, and someone isn't playing the way, isn't working the way, or isn't behaving the way they should, staff won't even get to them. It, you know, there'll be a whole change room there by year five managing themselves because because they're proud and what they what they've built here together. And yeah, so we've we've got we've. It's great group this year, but we have got to keep driving that on and the 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 further along we go, the more responsibility there is on players to to drive those standards. Year 1 it was staff 90%, players 10%, 70/30. This year I'd say it's 50/50 50, 50. and now it's got to start leaning onto the players to drive what 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 it means to play for this club and um, and and fortunate that we've got so many great characters that are, that are driving that right now. Who I think also developed their own skill set to be able to do that. And in the leaders that we've got, there's a couple of very senior players that that are have always been good leaders. But the growth they've shown in in leading for this club has been has been massive. And yeah, I mean these as frustrating as this year has been, imagine what it could look like when all these these all the whole roster, but the young players that have come in, Caitlin, Ellie. Uh, Andrew, senior, Midge, um, it's There's a lot of young players that haven't had loads of playing time this year, um, and and we you know they, we get them back and we get to foster their their development and their talent even more. Uh, at the same time, I'm sure that that we'll have to get to work and improve, prove on the senior side. You know, it's you know, we we had some big senior player departures last year and. I'm sure that we'll, and we brought some some we brought players in that I think were fantastic acquisitions to the team and the, the club. But uh, I'm sure that we'll have to we'll have to find, you know, at least one or two again this off season that that can drive us to new levels and new standards.
0: Well, Mark, now that we have you here, this is your opportunity. You know, once a week you have to fuel questions from Jamie Goldberg. No, no rules. She gets to ask you anything everything this is your chance you get to grill jamie goldberg you're on the
2: other end of the mic right now yeah uh you normally ask about six or seven questions sometimes up to 10 so i'm (laughs) going to be kind i've got three questions for you
1: okay (laughs)
2: number one who's more interesting to interview me or (laughs) geo and why um (laughs) wow you are not good at this jamie
1: uh probably probably you um to be honest geo geo is a really uh great guy um and it's been wonderful to work with um but you probably give me a little bit more and go into a little bit more depth in uh, your answer sometimes so I, I feel like there's a lot more i probably have to listen to a lot more back on my tape recorder later on but um Sometimes I feel like there's a lot more that you end up saying. I'm
2: gonna have to make sure that Gio asks you the same question because I'm <laughs> sure you'll say Gio when he asks you. Gio
0: has ten years of media training working for ESPN, so he, yeah. knows, he knows
2: he what knows what he's how doing.
1: He knows how to answer.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, second question: Who do you think has been in this this challenging season so far, from your perspective? Who has been crucial to, on the field for player-wise for the Thorns to? Uh, to be where they are now, which is in a you know after a challenging start a really strong position fighting for for a home playoff which player or players do you feel have um, have had a big influence on making sure this team can still be where it 's at
1: I mean, I, I feel like this is obvious, but um, Lindsay, I, I, I think I, we both, me and Richard both wrote that, like, Lindsay Horan should be MVP of the league story two weeks ago. But, I mean, her and Sink, I, what they were doing at a point where I think the team was needed points and needed someone to step up in the attack. I mean, at this point, I think you have players going back in like Tobin. You have the defense is starting to get a little bit uh, more consistent but I, for me, it felt like Lindsay and NSYNC for a while were carrying this team and making sure that the results were coming, even at points where there might have been critical errors or there might have been um, games where there was up and down performances.
2: Third question. I've done a lot of, uh, hopefully, I've hopefully done a lot of good things and I've also done a lot of crazy or bad things. What's the biggest mistake I've made since being head coach of the Portland, France? Oh
1: my God. <laughs> feel like I have an answer for this, actually, in in the context of when things have happened in the past, and I, I am catching me, on, catching me off guard, Mark. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I, I think that maybe last season with adjusting sort of to the absence of Tobin, um, it took a long time, and you've talked about that, a change of changing formations. I, I think there was uh, sort of a lull for the team um, for a while at the beginning of the year after she went down with the injury and it was clear she wasn't coming back where maybe there was ways that as a coach you you could have been putting in a different formation that sort of the team found towards the end of the year um sooner and and adjusting to that better um but you've talked a lot about that one so maybe that's why that comes to my mind so quickly i'll
2: take i'll take that feedback on (laughs) but i do think you're being kind so thank you in the on the moment of being kind and uh and taking my three questions
1: yeah so it's, it's a bit harder I'm, yeah. not, I'm not used to being on the other I was, side i was
2: waiting for you to dodge one because <laughs> when i try to dodge one you circle back and you ask me it again in a different way so i try and dodge again and then you come back a third time and i give in so i, I was going to try and do that to you but you didn't dodge you took them head on so well done
1: yeah now i now i need the media training is <laughs> what we've learned thank you so much mark thank you guys well, thanks again to Mark Parsons for coming on. it. It's always great to get a chance. I think we've talked to Mark in the past. We've talked to uh, Gio Savaresi in the past. We would speak to Caleb Porter. It's really nice to get the perspectives from the coaches of these teams every so often on the show, and especially with the Thorns, you know, gearing up uh, in a very tight playoff race, six games left. Um, I think it's really nice to have Mark on and, and hear from him today.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was one of my favorite interviews ever. I I can't believe he talked to us about that. It was just so amazing that he went so deep on that. Uh, We haven't talked to Mark yet. (laughs) We're recording this before we talk to him. Uh, I want to ask him, though, when we get to it, uh, whether he likes Rush or not. Because when you guys talked to Gio early this year, that was the one thing I remember from that interview, is asking him what his favorite band was, and he said Rush. So we're going to have to do that in the past at this point jb is looking at me with just like disgust that i have broken down this facade that we're supposed to keep up um i'm laughing but it was actually really rude of me to do that so apologies let's move on chris chris reifer memorial hot take interlude as we heard in the first segment of the show you were itching to get to this because
1: because uh i want to talk about lucas milano are you pronouncing that name right I am.
0: Okay. <laughs> I hope so.
1: <laughs> I was here. Unlike okay. you, I was around the club <laughs> when Lucas Milano was here. Yep. In fact, written a profile on him um, about how he was hoping to have a breakout season with the Timbers, things like that. How did that go? Profile was fine at the time. <laughs> didn't turn. Didn't his hopes and dreams for the Timbers at that time did not work out. Wow. Um, obviously Milano came in, in 2015, a uh, highly touted designated player. Timbers invested a lot of money to bring him here. Uh, I think he did okay at the end of 2015, but 2016 was a disappointing season from him for him. And the Timbers sent him on loan after the 2016 season. But I think at this point with his loan up with him sort of in limbo with the Timbers having to make some sort of decision with him, I think the Timbers should bring him back. And I, I I do think this is probably a hot take because I think a lot of people were pretty happy to see uh, Lucas Moano go. I think that's looked at as a, bad move that the timbers made to and let him go uh to <laughs> sign him originally okay. um it, it, they invested a lot of money and it, it didn't pan out and that's clear but at this point they've they already invested that money he's already still um a, under contract with the club even though he's been out on loan they have the option to bring him out and they now have an open designated player spot and uh, open space that they've transferred I just think it makes sense to give it another try. They, they already invested the money. Might as well see if he can do better at this point now that he's gone out on loan, uh, done overall pretty well away from here, hopefully grown as a player, and maybe under a new coach, maybe with Savarese, um, less of a language barrier uh, for, for Mono coming back in, um, and him knowing the Portland environment so it's not as much of a transition when he comes back. I think this is an opportunity for the Timbers to bring him back, see if they can make it work out, see if he is a different player than he was um, in 15 and 16, and can actually contribute for the rest of the season. Because I'm not convinced that the Timbers necessarily have another uh, big-time designated player lined up for the transfer window. I think this is the simplest move. And if it doesn't pan out, next year, different designated player. Going to completely rework the roster, and Milano very well will will not be back if if he comes in and can't perform this year but yeah i think this is an opportunity to give lucas milano another chance
0: okay so let me get this straight just so i'm understanding you correctly <laughs> you're saying the player who started it at right wing for an mls cup winning team who has gone down and successfully integrated into one of the four or five biggest clubs in argentina has had success in the second biggest club competition in the world, Copa Libertadores, and would be coming back at 25 years old in the prime of his career, constitutes a hot take.
1: You weren't here in 2016.
0: <laughs> well, I was here. I just was <laughs> I mean, I mean, I wasn't here because everybody knows that I only started to exist at the end of January yep. this year. <laughs> but look, it sounds like... It sounds like you have a hard case to make here. Except for anybody who has followed this team knows that there isn't really an appetite within the fan base right now to bring back Lucas Milano. But I went through that introduction to try to highlight, like, there are some kind of some objective descriptions to this that make the whole idea make sense. Just the feeling here doesn't really support Yeah,
1: and that. I think that's what it is. I mean, he, he was... The expectations for him were very high when he came in, and he didn't live up to those. It was a disappointment. And 2016 as a season was a disappointment for the Timbers. And so the idea of bringing back a player like that, that was, um, I think, part of just all the negativity around 2016. That was a big part of it. It's sort of this player that the Timbers have invested all this money in who who can't score and isn't at all what we expected him to be. It is, I think, at least of the feeling from having been there and covered it and how I assume the fan base feeling, it does feel like a hot take to say, let's bring him back in. But you're right. And that's why I I do think it's true. Just based objectively, if you take out sort of that emotion and given where the Timbers are with roster spots, salary cap, time left in the transfer window, it's just a good opportunity to bring him back in and see how he does. Because I don't think the Timbers are really giving up that much by doing that. Because I don't know if they would be able to fill the designated player spot in any other way or or necessarily use all the cap space room that they have um, by bringing in someone else at this point with limited time left in the transfer window. So, yeah, I think it's just a great chance for the Timbers to give this another try.
0: Okay, so that's a frozen hot take. Let me give you my hot take. I think the Timbers should bring back Lucas Milano. (laughs) No. Um, I'm really going to go for a hot take here. We said goodbye to a Timbers legend on Saturday. Comparing him to other legends that have left the club recently, I think Fernando Adi was a more important player than Darlington Nagby. I think that his presence when the team, maybe his skill set isn't rarer than Darlington Nagby's, maybe he's not as technically proficient as Darlington Nagby, but like we were talking about before, there were some players that were essential to the cup win, and the cup win is obviously the zenith of this club's history it would have been a lot easier to replace Darlington, I think, in that team than Fenedo Adi. And I think it has proven that, well, with Samuel Armenteros' arrival, it hasn't been that hard to replace um, Fenedo Adi. But it actually hasn't been that hard to replace Darlington Nagby either. You've had to go out and find some good players, just like you had to find good players to replace Fenedo Adi. But I don't think Darlington's majesty in the when you're looking back on it, it, quite matches the feeling everybody had around him while he was here. And I think in time when we look back on it, we're going to think that this person who was a consistent high-teen scorer who was one of the few consistent scoring options that we had is going to seem like he was a more important player than the person who was just the kind of connecting savant. So I'm trying to go a little bit hot takey here, but I maybe I'm convincing myself of this. <laughs> maybe I actually believe it.
1: You know, I, I think I believe it. I think, I, 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 I mean, maybe it was part of the emotions of the way he went out, but I definitely felt a lot more emotional uh, about Audi's exit. Um, but, of course, you know, he goes out in the way he does. It's hard not to tear up a little bit in the press box about it. But I I think that the Timbers struggled in, in their first few years as an MLS team at finding a consistent goal scorer. Mm-hmm. They, their options of forward, it just didn't really pan out. Um, I mean 2013 was Ryan Johnson he did okay but that didn't really pan out with the club before that you know Chris Boyd <laughs> Right. that's if if you're putting Lucas Milano as of the bad signing list I still think Chris Boyd <laughs> among <the laughs> oh, fans no, no, might no. be might be higher up on, on that list of moves well, the Timbers have made yeah. who've
0: been the worst so Boyd I think of Boyd <laughs> I think of Norberto Paparato like that guy was supposed to be a starting defender and never looked like a starting defender.
1: I still wouldn't rank him up anywhere near Chris Boyd. Oh, he yeah. Well, I think Chris Boyd takes the cake. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> the I see mean, a game. Yeah, but I, I think that you look at the, the sort of the Timbers' struggles of finding a consistent forward uh, in their first few years. And, and Audi comes in, and you, they finally get that option. They finally have a number nine that is going to consistently score for them, that is going to rack up goals when they need him. First player to get, six, I think, over 15 goals for the Timbers. Well, and I think Valeri is the only other player that's beaten that uh, since then. And he does a two years in roll row, 16 goals. Um, so, yeah, I, I think what Nagby provided... Uh, obviously he provided some amazing goals in, in critical moments and highlight real goals. I, I think when I'm looking back at some of the top goals in Timbers MLS history, Nagby's on that list while well, Fernando Audi might not be just because of the way Nagby would score. Um, but the consistency that Audi brought in the attack and what that did, I think, overall for the Timbers attack it is something that that's hard to replace. And so I do think uh, especially when you're looking back at the history of the Timbers, that Audi is going to be a player that you kind of hold up there a little bit higher than Nagby in the future.
0: I can't believe I'm so bad at hot takes. <laughs> I actually thought that was a hot take. And then you're sitting here going, you know, it's probably not that hot. I'm we'll going to have to see. We'll
1: ch- see if the listeners agree. I, I feel like, I feel like other people might have some different opinions. Oh,
0: definitely. And rightly so. I don't think this is a clear cut thing, but I also think this is a situation where maybe having two people like us, We're not fans. Uh, We can look at it from a sense that we don't feel any ownership for Darlington. And I think there was a sense of, if not ownership, at least connection to the fact that Nagby was the team's first draft pick, and he was here from the beginning. And he was a young guy that it felt like he grew into Portland, where Adi arrived, and like he said on Saturday, he wasn't sure he wanted to come here at first, and there were various times that looked like he wanted to leave. But when you judge it purely based on what happened on the field, yeah maybe it's not even that close well I don't want to disrespect Arlington like that but maybe it's not that controversial yeah all right let's move on to the Thorns like you said before no games this week so we can shift to focusing mostly on this coming weekend where for the second time this year the Thorns returned to North Carolina they returned this time on a three game winning streak but the most pertinent result going ahead into this game was the time that the Courage came here I believe it was two months ago Hasted the thorns four to one victory where it wasn't even so much about the thorns although they looked terrible over a short stretch in the second half north carolina was amazing during that game so ahead of this one my main question to the team was how do you get yourself to that level because to be honest with you i have never seen an nwsl team being in a title game a playoff game we've had some good playoff games here play to the level north carolina did during that regular season game
1: yeah, I mean, no team in the NWSL has come close to doing what North Carolina has so done good. this season. I, I mean, I think if you were going to put your money on it, I mean, it, at this point, it would be shocking to see any other team win the championship besides North Carolina. There's going to have to be a major upset for that to happen because they've been incredible. That yeah. that team's been the best, yeah, probably the best team you've seen in the NWSL, um, period. And the Thorns have an opportunity here to, to go there and, and show that they can compete with North Carolina. It obviously would be a massive confident boost if they can go there and go toe to toe with North Carolina and show that they have found a way to get on that level. Obviously we've seen um, with against the Utah game and the Houston game, it gets much weaker teams, but the, the Thorns when they've been close to full strength as they, will be this weekend, obviously players coming back from international duty, not necessarily... Yeah. The players will be available. We'll see if the minutes uh, are what you want. Um, there's going to be some players coming back, playing on short rest. But we've seen in the last two times that the Thorns have been close to full strength, then play some of their best soccer the whole season. Sure. And so can they build off that with having at least available the majority of their top players um, going to North Carolina and show with those players available, with the point they are at the season, that they can compete with North Carolina, that that would be tremendous uh, going into then the final five games of the season still trying to fight for this playoff spot. But like you said, I, I'm not convinced any team can compete with North Carolina. And after the Thorns' last performance against the Courage here, I don't feel necessarily a ton of confidence going into this game.
0: Yeah, I don't think the standard for Sunday's game is victory. I think the standard for Sunday's game is progress. And then you want to take that progress and use the last five games of the season, sixth game of the playoff, to make up the rest of the gap, because to set the expectation that we're gonna go into North Carolina, and we're gonna prove we're just as good as them right now, it's just, it seems like a recipe for emotional failure. You wanna make the step to show that you can compete, take the steps over the next month and a half, two months to show that you can get to their level, and then the final here, Providence Park, you wanna be able to give your best shot. But best shots, you mentioned that the team was gonna be almost at full strength, I think Mark Parsons today, when you talked to him, and I was there, but I didn't talk, uh, identified two players, it seemed like, who are going to be carrying injury concerns into the game.
1: Yeah. um, I think the good news coming out of it was that he said that he expected Caitlin Ford to see her first minutes, because she was gearing up to see her first minutes against Sky Blue. Game state didn't really fit with her coming in. Um, but she's You been, don't want to
0: play an injured player in a monsoon. <laughs>
1: exactly. I don't so she goes that's off. what you learned in those fancy coaching classes. <laughs> she goes off to Australia for the Tournament of Nations, is now going to be coming in, and he was expecting um, that she would be able to see uh, minutes uh, in this game against North Carolina. So that's exciting. We'll probably see the first of Caitlin Ford in the Thorns uniform this season. Um, But on the other side of that, it sounds like Mitch Purse is still out, although she's getting close to uh, nearing full health and um, could be back for the Orlando game the week after, is what Mark Parsons said. And then Catherine Reynolds. Uh, We saw her go down in the Sky Blue game. We weren't really sure what the injury was at that point. It sounds like she's dealing with some sort of knee injury and and didn't sound great. We, We don't know the exact timeline at this point. We don't know exactly what the problem is. Mark Parsons said slight knee damage. Uh, whatever that means didn't love the
0: da- word damage isn't yeah, great
1: didn't love the term um she's out at least these next two games damage
0: sounds different from strain yeah
1: would <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not sure if he i mean he used the word yeah, damage no, so i hate to read too much into it till we know for sure but she is not, out yeah. these next two games so
0: please anybody who's listening to this know <laughs> that i'm joking around when i'm focusing on damage there so yeah. much just it's it's a word <laughs>
1: But yeah, so, I mean, you have maybe Sonnet coming back in. You hope that Sonnet's going to be able to come back in, mm-hmm. um, given that Reynolds will be out. Um, and, and the, I mean, the Thorns should still have pretty close to the back line they want, potentially, or at least a, a back line that's been um, working uh, with, with probably Carpenter and then uh, Mangus and Sonnet and Klingenberg, we would assume. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there are going to, when we say, when I say close to full strength roster. It it seems like the Thorns there's no such thing as a full strength roster for the Thorns this season.
0: I mean, If the two people that are going to be out are going to be Catherine Reynolds and Mitch Purse, I think you could argue that the team will have their best 11 available. Catherine maybe is part of their best 11. I don't think Mitch Purse is right now based on the fact that Ellie Carpenter has emerged. You can also argue that the first choice right back would be Catherine Reynolds and not Mitch Purse. The team has a lot of depth right now and I definitely think you can argue that The 11 that would be most likely to start in the playoffs are going to be starting on Sunday. Well, maybe. We'll see, like, maybe somebody picks up a knock on Thursday in Tournament of Nations action. (laughs) Speaking of Tournament of Nations action, we've had Emily Sonnet start two games at right back for the U.S., Lindsey Horan start two games in central midfield, Tobin Heath start at right wing this Sunday against Australia. What have we seen from them with the U.S.? Anything to be concerned about? Are they healthy? That's the big yeah. thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're healthy. Um, Zero injuries. We, we obviously haven't seen AD French, which we can oh, God. We could probably just yell about that for an hour. Um, with uh, Why yell
0: about it when I get tweeted about it some <laughs>
1: more? <laughs> Jesus. With Jill Ellis continuing to go with uh, apparently no changes in goalkeeper. I mean,
0: The most frustrating part is I don't think Alyssa Nair has been bad over these first two games. She's conceded three goals. She hasn't done anything terrible. But on the three goals... It is not inconceivable that other goalkeepers would have stopped them or read them differently or positioned themselves better. It's not inconceivable that ADE stops two or three of those, and she's not even getting a chance.
1: Yeah, and so that's been very frustrating, Um, and it doesn't sound like she necessarily will get a chance in in, in that sense. Why is Jill Ellis even bringing her into camp, uh, taking her away from the Thorns, if she's not willing to at least give her an opportunity to see what she can do against that level of competition actually on the field? So... That's been the most frustrating part of the Tournament Nations. Um,
0: A.D. needs to get an apartment in Vancouver and start establishing <laughs> Canadian residency. <laughs>
1: Apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Just start thinking about options, A.D., at this point. <laughs> you know, I know that you probably feel like you're 100% in for America. You're, you, you probably identify with the U.S. Look, if Jill Ellis isn't going to give you the option, <laughs> go, go get that beach house in Portugal. <laughs> Let's get you onto the international scene, A.D. Um, other players that have been playing for the Thorns, uh, Haley Rosso has started both games at right wing for Australia. Ellie Carpenter has started both games at right back for Australia. We got to see them match up against the U.S. They both played reasonably well. Ellie Carpenter had some interesting comments from Megan Rapinoe uh, where she said that you know Ellie Carpenter needs to try, I don't know what she's, she's doing, she needs to try some other things against me, change it up a little bit. It sounds like based on what the people and the scrum in Hartford heard Megan Rapinoe was being very t- tongue in cheek, kind of <laughs> like she's clearly very good. What are you gonna? What am I gonna say about it? I'm just gonna say the sarcastic thing instead. And then Andresinha has been playing for Brazil too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Parsons making a note that she's actually been playing in more of an attacking role than she's been able to play for the Thorns, where she's been up until the last four or five games, mostly sitting in midfield. So those have all, all been interesting. Um, anything else that jumps out to you regarding the Tournament of Nations? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think Lindsay Ran, I didn't really mention her. Obviously, she oh, yeah. gets the uh, equalizer against the Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I am still really excited to see um, what, it, what we're going to see from Oran in, in the next year, um, heading into the World Cup, heading to qualifiers, heading to the World Cup. What we've seen from her at the Thorns and seeing her you know, take that, go on to the international level, continue to be a starter, score an equalizer like that. I, I'm just, it just makes me more excited to see what we're going to see from Horan uh, in qualifiers in next year. Look,
0: if, if you can't get excited about players like Lindsay Horan, if you can't get excited about players like even Samantha Mewis, Tierna Davidson, who are these young players that are still growing into themselves, if you can't get excited about him, McCall who's only gotten like, I think, four caps at this point, but seems to be really cementing her, st- her spot for France at this point. Um, maybe international soccer isn't for you. And it doesn't have to be for everybody, but you know, part of the subtext of what I'm saying here is that we see a lot of criticism. We have a lot of criticism of stuff. We were just criticizing Jill Ellis for how she's using Adriana French. But there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's pretty cool to watch too. And Lindsay Horan taking some of her thorns form, moving it to the international stage, making you wonder what she might be like next summer if she continues to have those options. Yeah.
1: It's kind of cool it's it doesn't feel all that long ago that it was a 2015 world cup and it's kind of shocking to me that it's going to be the 2019 um but we're we're going to see a lot of different players from what we saw i I mean that that group that won the world cup in 2015 there's going to be a lot of new players coming into this mix this time around and uh it's there's going to be obviously a few some of the same um But but there are a lot of new players, young players, that have really proven themselves during this cycle.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. Um, And it's just interesting to see where U.S. soccer is going and the new talents that are emerging. All right, predictions. The place where you have been thriving (laughs) over the last week. Let's start with Saturday's game here at Providence Park. Timbers, Philadelphia... I hope that you have a completely different (laughs) prediction than you did last week.
1: No, I'm just going to go with what worked. (laughs) See see if it happens again. I'm going to go with another uh, 2-1 scoreline, and I think the Timbers are going to win this one. I I think they should win this one. And and if they don't, it's going to be a disappointment.
0: I, my side bet here, I was going to go with something regarding Sebastian Blanco, but we will not see Sebastian Blanco this weekend. Yellow card accumulation has bitten him, so they're going to have to have another option in central midfield. I'm going to go for kind of a long shot here because this guy hasn't gotten on the score sheet yet for the Timbers. So I'm going to say Andy Polo gets his first assist. Do I actually think that's going to happen? I don't know, but I need some points. So I'm going <laughs> to swing for my ankles on this one. Uh, Let's go with the game on Sunday now, North Carolina, Portland. Uh, I see here that you have a Portland victory here on our (laughs) sheet. I want to commend you for that, your optimism coming through again. (laughs) Why do you think Portland's going to beat the Courage this weekend?
1: Yeah, I don't. What? I don't. Wow, Um, you,
0: whoa.
1: Yeah, I think you're just uh, inverting those. (laughs)
0: Wow. I mean, Mark Parsons was so nice to you in that interview that we clearly have already done.
1: (laughs) I, uh... I think that North Carolina is going to win 2 nothing. It's not going to be quite as bad as last time, but they've just, as we were talking about, they've just been the best team in the NWL this year. It's not really a contest, and I'm not convinced that the Thorns are going to be able to go to North Carolina and find a way to get a result there.
0: What if, when we interview Mark in half an hour, I tell him what your prediction is?
1: <laughs> I mean... I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you'll stick by it. It's just that it would be really uh yeah, it'd be really a jerky thing for me to do. My side bet here, it's really hard to come up with a side bet on this one because like you said, uh it's hard to foresee anything but the type of game that you describe. I mean, it's not difficult. We know about enough about the Thorns to know that they could step up at any time and really make this into a contest, but we have seen North Carolina play so much this year, so this is such a weird side bet and it took me so long to think about but North Carolina is averaging 7.2 shots on target per game this year and I'm just saying the Thorns are going to hold them under that is that a glamorous side bet no but sometimes sometimes everything glamorous you can think of like this person's going to score this person's going to have to assist you're just like I'd rather say Andy Polo is going to get an assist <laughs> so I'm just going to go with the Thorns are able to constrain the courage a little bit hold them under seven shots on target
1: all right um, well, that just leaves us with the fantasy update. And so uh, in third place this week, uh, Fake Plastic Team with uh, 2,348 points. Uh, Geostorm FC w- in second place FC. with 2,358 points. BC. And Beer City FC, FC. <laughs> with, <BC. laughs> with 2,442 points. and. Can you get up? City, <laughs> don't get off. <up. laughs> Apparently, Richard is really excited about Bear City FC. If but you're not a fan of
0: fantasy soccer, what are you a fantasy of? A, a, fantasy, a fantasy of? of.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, this,
0: this podcast just went in a bad direction.
1: <laughs> um, before uh, we go, I, I do want to say do, we'll be listening to this tomorrow, so it's going to be too late to actually probably show up. Good, okay, I'm so um, glad you said that. <laughs> but we tonight uh, we're hosting a Q and A with John Strong. Uh, at Civic Tap Room at seven John PM. John Strong.
0: Who's John Strong?
1: Uh, Fox Sports announcer, John Strong, the voice of <laughs> the voice of the World Cup in the U.S.
0: Yeah, but what does he have to do with the
1: Timbers? <laughs> you can find out.
0: I've only been at this club for six months. <laughs> How do I know who John Strong is?
1: <laughs> but e- even if you don't make it out, we're going to be posting a special edition of the podcast, just our Q and A with John Strong and everything, all the questions from Civic Tap Room later this week. So look out for that. A Second. Uh, soccer made in portland coming up after you listen to this one Uh, so you'll have plenty of reasons to hear richard and my voice this week
0: i'm sure the audio will be amazing too
1: (laughs) we're soccer made in portland Uh, you can find us every week on itunes and stitcher or you can subscribe itunes and stitcher you can find us every week on timbers.com stumptown footy and oregonlive.com until next week take care